Hey, welcome back to Reaching Struggling Learners podcast. This is episode five. I cannot believe it. It's already episode five. Can't believe it. So today we are going to talk about tier three and we're going to go a little bit more in depth into tier three and what that might look like in your classroom. I hope you stick around. I'm Jessica Curtis of Everyday Teaching Adventures. I'm a boy mom and a veteran teacher. You're listening to the Reaching Struggling Learners podcast, where we talk all about helping students succeed academically, socially, and behaviorally. I hope you stick around. Hey, welcome back. So I am excited about today partially because this is episode number five, and for some reason in my head, episode number five just means something. I think it means that, hey, I'm really getting through this podcast stuff. Uh, It's been quite the learning curve for me, so I'm kind of proud of myself. Uh, Also, I'm excited to start talking about tier three, and when I was looking at my notes, I I think that tier three is misunderstood a lot, And I think that by clarifying a little bit more about tier three and what it means and how it can be implemented for students, that maybe some of that anxiety that teachers feel might be mitigated a little bit. At least that's my hope. Last week in episode four, and if you haven't caught it, I suggest you go back and listen to it because, you know, I think it's pretty good. We talked about what MTSS and RTI are and Specifically, we talked about Tier 1 and Tier 2 and what Tier 1 and Tier 2 is and what it could look like in an example classroom. So today, we're going to talk about Tier 3. So just a really quick review of what Tier 1 and 2 is. Tier 1 is what everybody gets. That's the general education curriculum that everybody in the school gets and it, it just it's what everybody gets. Tier two is targeted intervention. So if you remember from last week, tier two is what happens when students that the, the school-wide screener identifies as at risk or are struggling students, tier two is that a little bit of extra intervention is what's provided at that level. The biggest difference between tier one and tier two, honestly, is the level of documentation. A lot of the strategies that we would use in tier two, we also as teachers, honestly, we use that in tier one. But we, at the tier two level, we progress monitor it. We collect our data more frequently and we track that progress and present it to a team. That's really the only difference. Um... It's also tends to be smaller group and all that. But again, that's a review of episode four. If you want to hear it, go back to it. I suggest you do that. So today we're going to talk about tier three. Tier three should not be a massive amount of students in your classroom and certainly not a massive amount of students in a school. Tier three is designed to be intensive interventions. So it should not be a large group of kids. Students that are in tier three 
are the students that the curriculum at tier one wasn't supporting them enough. And tier two, the extra interventions, the extra strategies, the extra time in the smaller group, that that wasn't enough either. So when students are moved to tier three, it's because they weren't making the gains that they really needed to at that tier two level. So when a student does move to tier three, there's a couple things that happen. First of all, more intense interventions are provided. I have noticed that there is some confusion about the difference between tier two and tier three. You cannot have the exact same interventions for tier three as you had for tier two. The whole reason that we are moving a student from tier two to tier three is because we determined that tier two wasn't enough. So just increasing the amount of time that a student takes on an intervention or increasing the length of time that we're going to progress monitor the strategy, that's not a tier three intervention. Tier three needs to be a different intervention than the tier two intervention was. Most of the time, tier three intervention starts with a smaller group. And in most of the schools that I have worked in, the rule was that for a tier two group, you could have between five and eight students. I don't think I've ever done a tier two intervention with eight students because eight students sounds like a pretty big group when you're talking about strategies and things like that, especially for non-standard learners. So I've always tried to tap it out at five. For tier three, I've been in schools that they suggested that you could have up to five, but most of the schools that I have been in, their criteria was a one to three ratio. So one teacher to three students maximum. And I found that that tends to be a pretty good ratio when you're talking about that level of services. The other part to that is the student continues to get specific support in their area of weakness, but it has to be more intense. So more focused on their individual weakness. So if you remember from last week, episode four, I gave the example of that I was a second grade teacher and I had students that were struggling with vocabulary in not on nonfiction text. So for my tier one, all of my students were working on the nonfiction and working on comprehension strategies, you know, the normal classroom teacher things. But then for my tier two intervention, I had my students in a group of five and they came to me for 10 minutes, two times a week for instruction on specific strategies. And three days a week, they were working, practicing those strategies and skills that I taught them. Of course, the data would be collected weekly. I will say that I have been in plenty of schools where it was perfectly fine to progress monitor at tier two on a bi-weekly basis, uh, but no no less than that. That's, that's really a school-based idea. For consistency, I personally, when I was a general education or or as a special education teacher, I've never wanted to progress monitor less than once a week because I want to make sure that what I taught that week was 
sinking in and I don't want to let two weeks go where maybe the strategy or something confused the student. So I like to progress monitor weekly, but that's just me. And that's not any, you know, written in stone rule, but I suggest it. For tier three, you need to collect data at the very least once a week to for it to be considered tier three. Usually it's twice a week. That's usually what they go for. And I know that some schools, uh, including intervention specialist, they get hung up on data points, numbers of data points. And what they're really hung up on is, has the intervention been provided consistently enough that the data truly represents the student's learning? When your intervention person starts talking about data points and there aren't enough data points, what that person is really saying is, we need to make sure that we are documenting the consistency of the interventions and documenting that whether the intervention is working or is not working or is not really having an impact. And it has to be done at the very least on a weekly basis uh, for tier three. So back to my example. If I were a second grade teacher and I had students in tier two who were struggling with their vocabulary and they, I taught them specific strategies, but they weren't making the progress that I really felt they needed to make, or the team just decided that it wasn't enough progress for them to be able to move on or move out of tier two, then they would be moved to tier three. Most of the time, tier three is provided by a specialist or an interventionist, not the classroom teacher. I have, I've done it both ways. I have been in schools where an intervention specialist was responsible for all the tier three instruction and data collection. I've also been in schools where the expectation was that the classroom teacher would provide tier three interventions. It just depends on schools and honestly, it depends on funding and, and personnel available at any given time during the school day, schedules, all that. So for my example, I said that the tier three intervention would be that the students that went to tier three would be taught specific prefixes and suffixes to really hone in on those areas. Tier three needs to be a little bit more focused. Tier two can be a little bit more broad. You can talk about at tier, th- tier two that you're going to implement certain strategies. At tier three, you have to be very specific. You're going to work on one specific strategy and to see if that strategy works. And you are going to track that weekly or you know, twice a week to make sure that the strategy is working. And by the way, Again, this is something that has been a hang-up in several schools of mine. If a strategy is not working, you do not have to wait six to eight weeks to change the strategy. If you see when you are looking at your data that there is a downward trend, don't continue that strategy for six weeks, please. I have some schools that are doing that right now, and it is driving me insane. If you can see that what is going on is not only not helping, but is actually being detrimental, the student is getting more confused and more frustrated, 
please stop that strategy and try something else? That's that's the beauty of RTI. That's the beauty of progress monitoring. That's the point in progress monitoring is that we recognize that there are hundreds of thousands of different strategies out there and we're trying to figure out what strategy is going to work with that child. Continuing with a flawed strategy that is not working is not, it's not going to help the student, it's not going to help the teacher, and it's certainly not going to make any progress. So if you happen to see downward trending data lines, feel free to talk and be open and honest with interventionists and explain that if that's not working, what are we going to try next? Because the data shows that what we're doing isn't working, we need to try something different. So tier three tends to go for a minimum of eight weeks. Again, I've been in schools where the thought was that RTI was very rigid. And the, uh, the thought was that you had to have six weeks at tier two, and you had to have at least six weeks at tier three. Again, RTI was never meant to be a very rigid structure. So if your student isn't getting it, if they're really struggling at that tier three level, if you're not seeing progress at that three to four week mark, the team can meet and change the strategy and try something different and collect data. The important thing with that is when you are changing strategies is to document, document, document. If it wasn't documented, it didn't happen. That is absolutely my biggest saying. If it wasn't documented, it didn't happen. So if a change in strategy happened, make sure that that gets documented on the data sheets and on the graphs. You don't have to make brand new graphs. It can all be on the same same line. It can all be on the same graph. Just put a line on there, make a note that the strategy was changed and that way it's actually a really good thing because you can then continue the data on to show that the different strategy had more or less of an impact in a positive or negative way. It's actually, it's very helpful to interventionists and to school psychologists when that information is collected and is noted on there when you send all that information to them because then the school psychologist or whoever the interventionist is, they can look at that and say, hey, whoa, this one strategy was not helpful at all, but this other one was a little bit better and they can look a little bit more in depth into similar strategies. They may be able to give some really good suggestions based on the different strategies that you've used and the impact that that has had on the student's learning. So I I do, I strongly encourage all teachers to document when they change something up because you never know when some small little change could have a huge impact on a struggling learner. So tier three, whether it is completed by a intervention specialist or it's completed by a classroom teacher, the most important things to remember are document, 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 and the data needs to be collected on a regular basis, no less than weekly. The group size needs to be fairly small. 
Uh, I strongly suggest no more than three in a group just because, again, that's to, to be sure that you're really providing intensive, individualized interventions for the student. It's harder to do that with a, a larger group up to five. What is the difference between what tier two and tier three might look like, aside from specialist versus classroom teachers, smaller group size? Tier three is more individualized to the student. So tier three are is going to be interventions that are focused on a specific student. For example, I'll go back to my second graders with the vocabulary. At tier two, I had a group, if you'll remember, I had a group of five students and I taught them all strategies. So all the kids in the group learned the same strategies. And they learned a different strategy every week. And the first week they learned about dictionary, looking up words in the dictionary. The next week they worked on context clues. The next week they worked on using all of the, the other information, the graphics and the, the, the pictures and all that to help them figure out what some of these words might mean. All those strategies were for everybody in the group. But at tier three, for those students that that didn't help them enough, at tier three, the first thing that an interventionist would do before they even figure out what strategy they're going to talk about is they're going to look a little bit more in depth at the student and try to get even more honed in on what is causing the issue. If teaching those strategies... The, the dictionary skills and, and the prefixes and the suffixes and all that, if that doesn't cause some, some increase in, in vocabulary retention, then they might start looking at, okay, is this, is this student aware of prefixes and suffixes? Are they able to break down words into their root words and start looking at the skill deficits or the weaknesses in a much more personal light? So let's say that the, a student uh, had to move on to tier three uh, for a second grader. That interventionist might work for four or five days a week with that student for 15 to 20 minutes, depending on the schedule and all that. Um, and they might just work on finding the root word in words, working on prefixes and suffixes, those kinds of things. And they could work on some of the strategies. I mean, simple strategies to use would be identifying prefixes and suffixes. They, they could use something as simple as using flashcards to teach the kids to recognize a prefix. They could be using a highlighter. Here's a big word, anti-disestablishmentarianism, whatever. And they, they have to highlight the different prefixes that they know and maybe the student would start finding the root words and those, those very specific things. So instead of looking at vocabulary as more of a global thing, they would look at the, the word issues. The interventionist may realize through working with that student in the intensive group, that interventionist may realize that the student, while they understand and they're able to identify letter sounds, they may not know digraphs. 
they may not know vowel digraphs and be and that may be an impediment to their being able to read the root word in words. Tier three is honed in on the very specific needs of the child and the interventionist works very hard to to shore up the foundations that were missing, that are missing for that student. And sometimes you'll see that while the classroom teacher may see that the vocabulary was an issue, the the tier three interventionist may get may be able because they have the time and the ability to really hone in on the student, they may be able to realize that, no, it's actually a phonics issue. Or then that's when you also start talking about might be uh, other issues. So I get this question a lot. What happens if a student isn't performing well at tier three? And the answer is, it depends. Some students They get to tier three, they get their intensive services and they get the help that they need and it's not a problem and they move on to, they go back to tier two or even tier one and that's it. Some students do okay, but they're not making enough progress to meet grade level standards. When that happens, RTI or MTSS teams meet and they determine if they believe that the child should continue with tier three, but change the strategy or change the intervention or maybe try an accommodation, those kinds of things. If several interventions or strategies have been tried, then at that point, MTSS or RTI teams might start looking at requesting for assessments to dig deeper to find out if there is some underlying issue. Uh, For example, uh, if a student is really, really struggling with phonics, they might request assessments for dyslexia. They might request academic assessments. There's all sorts of, obviously, there's lots and lots of assessments out there. And those can be done by counselors or school psychs. There's, I mean, all the different assessments have different rules for that. The one thing that I want to make a point of, when an MTSS or RTI team determines that they believe that the child needs more help than what they have, what they're giving them right then, the team must act, okay? Now, that doesn't mean that they have to put a kid into special education services, but the team has to change an intervention Or they can request testing to see if a child is eligible for special education services. Although more likely, most MTSS teams that I have met or that I have worked with, they prefer to assess a student to see if a different strategy might work and try another strategy after the assessment once the information comes in. And then they might start looking at if they have a question of whether the child might be eligible for special education services. But here I want to reiterate, don't fall into the trap of thinking that the end goal of RTI and progress monitoring is to get a kid into special education. I know that some parents and some teachers feel that that's the end goal of RTI and progress monitoring but it really isn't. It's the exact opposite. 
the the goal, the purpose in RTI and progress monitoring is to prevent a child from needing special education services. It's to do everything that we can to meet the needs of students in the general education classroom and curriculum so that they don't have to have specialized instruction, so that they don't have to get that special education label. So I just want to encourage you to, if you hear that, to to gently, lovingly correct that. All right. So that is my spiel, my short version of explaining what RTI and MTSS tier three is. If you have any questions, please, 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 please don't hesitate to contact me. You can find me on Instagram. I'm at Everyday Teaching. I'm also on Facebook, all that stuff, everydayteachingadventures.com. Thank you for listening to the Reaching Struggling Learners podcast, episode five. I cannot believe it's episode five already. Please leave a comment or send me a message to let me know how you like the show. If you have any questions, I'd love to know. I'd love to discuss anything. If you're looking for strategies, please don't hesitate to contact me. I'd love it if you left a rating for the podcast on iTunes, especially if you like the show. Uh, That helps others find the podcast. And you never know, you might be my listener shout out. Until next time, may your coffee be strong, your students calm, and your desk relatively neat.